just think we were prepared. You know, one thing my, uh, my trainer, he told me, he said, what did he say? He just told us to be prepared. It's always doubt with us every year. It's like, oh, well, the Saints can't do this because something or, you know, Drew's gone and it. I, I don't, I'm the wrong person to ask because I don't care. And I'm coming in every year thinking we're going to beat the shit. What up? Welcome back to Black and Gold BS, the irreverent Saints podcast from Boot Crew Media, presented uh, by Royal Honda, where Sean's mom bought the soccer van that we all rode in for years and years and years, yes. I think. Correct me if yeah. I'm wrong. No, very true. From To and from soccer practice and then to and from like the boot a few times. Yeah, that thing had quite the life's journey. It's no wonder we were so popular with the ladies rolling up to the boot in a like 96 Honda van that seats like 17 people. More room for the ladies. All right. Well, let's not bury the lead here. <laughs> the saints had uh, one of the most epic wins of the last uh, couple of years. Um, I'm sure we all felt the same way for 75% of the game thinking that like, Oh no, Jacob's prediction came true. <laughs> the Falcons yeah. came out and freaking punched us in the mouth and dominated both lines of scrimmage. We didn't have any idea what to do with Marcus Mariota. And then, uh, and then we just turned it on and destroyed them. And Atlanta hasn't burnt this badly since the Civil War. So, General Sherman. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we've finally taken the souls of Atlanta Falcons fans. And if you're still a fan after losing, after I just like, what are you doing? Like, what, what are you holding on to? There's nothing. You have nothing. Yeah. They should just go be Braves fans. I mean, that seems fun. I guess. I don't know. And they're Georgia not the Dodgers. They're, they're great. They, they have plenty to distract. Yeah, they got, their, they got theirs with Georgia. Eh, after 2019, uh, I feel like no no college football team will ever live up to the glory of, of the Burrow, Chase, Orgeron, LSU Tigers. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what are our general thoughts here? What, are we panicking about the bad, or do we not care? What, what, what do we think? So, honestly, like week one in the NFL, um, historically, and even more so since they um, altered the, the preseason um, and training camp uh, schedules in the last couple of years, um, week one is like essentially a preseason game that counts uh, in terms of the conditioning of the players, both physically and mentally, uh, um, the just like coordination um, of uh, how quote unquote ready they are to play. And just like based on the general lack of film on, on uh, themselves for self scouting, but then also um, obviously their opponents so it's kind of just a big clusterfuck. Um, and if you win week one, you got a W. It counts all the same at the end of the year. And that's really all that matters. So um, the fact that it came on the road against the Saints' biggest rivals, 
and and played out the way it did. Uh, definitely was a roller coaster ride, but um, uh, all that matters is that the Saints are one and zero after Week One, and half the teams in the NFL can't say that. So, especially not the Falcons. Actually, more than half the teams can't say that because there was a tie. I hope I hope we never have to suffer through the uh, ambivalence of having to tie. Like, what do you do when your team ties? Do you celebrate? Are you mad? It's not a loss, but it's also not a win. Have the Saints ever tied? Ever? That's a good question. I really, really don't think so. Definitely not in the last 30 years or so. Um, We've tied five times. Five total ties. But I don't feel like sifting through 60 years of football to figure out which games those were. We weren't alive for them. No. Um, I kind of like, don't give a shit about all the uh, like football related miscues in this game. Like, I don't care the glory of how we came back and won and how we just like took over Atlanta after the game and like stomped on the Falcons corpse. Like, I just like don't care about the bad stuff. It all the good outweighs the bad in the situation. Do you all agree? Well, definitely. And also everything that was going wrong is coachable for the most part, right? Like what Sean alluded to in terms of it being week one anyways, but um, I personally was mostly impressed with the secondary. You mentioned it earlier, like the lines are where we have, something to worry about. Um, and I don't, just don't think they had enough tape on Mariota generally either and didn't know what to expect from their offensive attack. And then I truly just think coming back from 16 points in the fourth quarter is enough to sort of erase those concerns. And I think it took three quarters for the offense to sort of like get their footing anyway. And then you saw all three receivers play pivotal roles in the comeback, um, which I think yes. gives me a lot of hope for moving forward, um, particularly Jarvis Landry, which like I find interesting that like nobody's talking about because he had like a Mondo game that like without it, we would not have come back. Um, I know Michael Thomas is a separate exciting thing we should address in terms of just like how fucking locked in he is to like prove everybody that he's not slant boy and that fires me up. But without Jarvis or Chris Flop, like he's not doing that. So I think that's important. Yeah. Michael Thomas, like the faces he was making at the end of that game reminded me of uh, like the monster in one of those like cheap thrill horror movies that keep getting released every year. Like I feel like you're going to, you're going to close the door to your medicine cabinet and like, he's going to be staring at you like in the mirror. (laughs) Michael Thomas is right behind you. Yeah. (laughs) But I love it. He just like needed to rip the bandaid off of his first. And as soon yes. as that happened, when he had like that big catch and then the first red zone touchdown, I feel like he was just like, Hey, I'm fucking like activated. Back. Like he's yeah. like, not going to look back. Yeah. It's I'm sure that was just like an incredibly cathartic moment for him after just like all the stuff, um, some of his own doing and some just like bad luck. Uh, that's kind of befallen him uh, doing that 
in a like a high leverage situation against AJ Terrell, who like as much as we like to clown him is like a pretty good corner. I think he was like all pro last year. Um, is was incredible. It was almost like his his John Wick, like yeah, I think I'm back, like moment. <laughs> I was. I mean, he's like. I mean, that whole video of him just basically like having a manic episode on the sidelines. I mean, you can tell how passionate he is and how much like playing, being able to play this game at the level that he knows uh, he's capable of doing it at and being at the level where he feels he deserves to be due to like, to the amount of work that he, he puts in. It's just like a really cool thing to see. Um, and I mean, he's like a psychopath, but he's our psychopath, which I think matters. So welcome back MT. To, uh, to Allison's point about uh, Juice Landry, I feel like he's massively underrated. Yes. Um, he kind of toiled in obscurity in Miami when, I mean, could who was, the, who was his quarterback? Tannehill for a couple yeah, of years? Mostly Tannehill, I think. He battled some injuries. Yeah. yeah, and they weren't very good. And then he got, then he went to Cleveland, and we all know how that went with Baker Mayfield. Like yeah. he's really never had a good quarterback. I mean, the last time he had a really good quarterback was in college when Zach Mettenberger was under center for LSU. <laughs> and like he made some pretty dope catches when he was in college. Like he is a really, really good receiver. Yeah. And this is probably the best team he's ever played on professionally. Yeah. So yeah. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if he was our leading receiver in terms of receptions and yards at the end of the season. That wouldn't shock me. Um, I mean, I mean, yeah, it could be him. could be Mike. Uh, and, and Chris Olave, like, he, he didn't get a ton of targets, but uh, he actually, I think, played the most snaps of all the guys, though, and uh, all the receivers. And uh, But when, when they targeted him, he made plays. I mean, that two-point conversion was beautiful, um, su- super clutch. And uh, as a lot of people pointed out, it was a play that um, he had run at Ohio State, and Pete Carmichael um, found it and ripped it from there. Uh, just like goes to show the like power of the Saints' offensive brain trust. Even, even without Peyton, we like know how to do cool shit on offense. Like groundbreaking news, apparently to some. But um, yeah, I mean, we uh, it's like we've been saying all offseason. I mean, we we tooled up. Uh, we have weapons now. Like we have the weapons to come back from a 16-point deficit in the fourth quarter, um, which is something that literally no Saints team has ever done, ever, uh, which is, like, kind of crazy to think about. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was a really cool thing to see. And then going back to Jarvis, I mean, obviously, uh, I mean, he put up pretty, like, monster numbers and that highlight real catch uh, in the in late in the fourth quarter um, when we were going for the uh, game. What ended up being the game-winning field goal was, was just, like, a monster play. But um, even like the small things, though, like off the field, I don't, I don't know if you guys saw like some of those videos of him kind of walking with DA off the field, and they were just like hyping, just kind of like like sending each other like words of affirmation, like this is what we grinded for in training camp, and like this is like this is why we like been busting our ass. Like he's a bona fide locker room leader, and yeah. um, like on and off and and an on field leader and field leader, and I think those things don't guarantee that we're going to have like a winning season. But I think when so many national 
media folks were just like so quick to write off the Saints going in their like preseason predictions and all offseason really. Like they didn't factor in stuff like that. Like that stuff matters. Like having dudes who can like look each other in the eye and hype each other up and like know what they're supposed to do to win games. Like having a team full of those guys matters. And that's what the Saints have. So, um, I mean, hopefully we don't have too many crazy comebacks like that or have to have crazy comebacks like that. But we've got a team full of guys who who can get it done like because they've done it. And, um, I mean, it's as a fan, that's just fun to watch. That's what you want to see. So let's, let's see what happens. I mean, yeah, I what, just oh, like go. knowing Jameis can do that is – restorative like to your point I don't ever want to be in that position again <laughs> but seeing him be able to because because we missed the two-point conversion which I personally hated that call on the second missed one but that was three offensive possessions we had to create in under a quarter efficiently um and once I just thought it was interesting too like once we basically moved to tempo and no huddle which we always saw Drew do like it was just like rhythmic and clicking so I'll be interested to see if we do a little bit more of that when we don't even have to mm-hmm. um but that gave me a lot of confidence because we have, as you guys know, huge game upcoming next week, but then another division game right after. And so um, I think if we can keep building up confidence in him in these critical games, like that'll be great down the stretch too. Yeah. Like when you sort of zoom out to the, the macro level of like what happened in this game, one of the big takeaways that I haven't really heard too many people talk about is like Jameis was like effortlessly slinging the ball like 50 yards down the field on some of those throws late in the game. And that is something that Drew like would never have been able to do with his like decrepit noodle arm, you know, in the 2017 through 2020 seasons. Like Jameis has all the physical skills and apparently the uh, not physical intangible skills to lead a team back like that. And that is, that's pretty cool. Uh, I don't think that's something people expected him to be able to do. Um, Yeah. And like in, in general, you didn't really see people pouting on the sidelines or like getting in each other's faces in a way that was like unhealthy. This team like never gave up and, kept fighting until like the bitter end. And I think that's a really, really positive sign. Like the fact that this was an ugly game and it came down to the wire and we had so many things go wrong, even things that are just like out of our control, like the refs continuing to like bungle calls. Like when we still won, like that makes me feel really good about what's going to happen for the rest of the season. Um, there were some, I don't want to spend too much time talking about the refs, but like there were some like pretty bad missed calls in this game. I thought like, especially towards the end of the first half, I think there was a fumble. It was under two minutes. Uh, Kyle Pitts fumbled and they called it an incomplete pass and they never reviewed it because that should have been a booth review. Uh, and the Falcons ended up kicking a field goal on that drive. And I believe we recovered what would have been the fumble. And there was like never an explanation as to why the play wasn't stopped and why they didn't look at it. Yeah. 
Like our referees, are they like the orcs in in like Lord of the Rings, where they're just they're birthed out of the mud, and they have to be like ripped from like a weird yolk, and they're like weird half human, half goblin. They really are like the lowest caste of society. Yeah. Am I wrong? We have fucking hockey league this weekend who loves to throw flags, so that should be fun. Do we have OG hockey league or do we have his kid? No, we have his kid. I think OG is retired. Retired, yeah. He finally retired. <laughs> yeah. But that that um that crew loves to throw throw some flags, so we should just mentally prepare for that. I know uh there's still some like folks who, I mean, as excited as they are about um, the comeback, there's definitely some worries about um, the reason why we needed to mount a crazy comeback, literally has an historic comeback against a Falcons team that by all accounts should be one of the worst teams in the NFL this, this year. Um, definitely some concerning things on both lines of scrimmage. Uh, Got to hope the O-line uh, continues to gel um and like communication gets better as we progress in the season uh the d-line no pass rush um hopefully that was more of a um, product of the game plan uh being pretty conservative against uh things that they had to account for and against tom brady it'll be more of a pin years back open season go take down the old man type deal um the the run defense was, was problematic though and i think one of the um areas of the con- concern that we had uh, flagged going into the season was our uh, D-tackle depth. So um, maybe there's been some talk we make a move there. Um, Malcolm Brown, uh, the former Saint from a couple years ago, I think he's still unsigned after being released by the Jaguars. So um, And he's like a great run stopper and would help fill a need there. Dominican Sue's a big name also who's a free agent, but he's more of like a pass rusher than a true run stuffer. So I don't know if he'd really fit a need, but it's interesting to see what happens there. So, um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, but again, like I, like I said in my, my first rant this episode, but I, it was week one and, and we won and that's really all that matters. So on to Tampa. It was week one and we, we put Atlanta in a body bag forever. <laughs> <laughs> like I've heard that they 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 got uh, you know their their dose of Schadenfreude when when the no call happened but like they can't even hold that over our heads because we still have a Super Bowl season. Yeah. Like at the end of the day we've won one and they haven't. Yeah. So like there's really nothing they can say that's going to Knock us off our high horse. And fun footnote about uh, our win over them on Sunday is that it evened the all-time series with Atlanta. I think it's 53-53 now. So um, let's uh, get the sweep later this year in the Dome and uh, finally take the the, uh, all-time win record lead over the Dirty Birds. I think we will. This is the last thing I'll say about the Falcons. Yes, they came out and like punched us in the mouth and they kind of controlled the line of scrimmage for, for most of the game. But I do think towards the end, we exposed what's going to be their Achilles heel. And is that 
they will not be able to play from behind or in any sort of like tempo. Like Mariota can't be trusted to drop back every play. They don't have the talent at receiver. Um, like they're just not going to be able to keep up with teams if they if they have a, a deficit out of the gate. Yeah. Like they're just going to get run out of the building. Yeah. And th- their defense played well um, for most of the game, for sure. Um, Dean Pease ran some like pretty exotic blitz packages, and uh, I think Jameis Winston said in his in his post game presser that um, a lot of the stuff they were expecting to see from the Falcons' defense coming from the year before um, and all that the tape from from last year's games, uh, Atlanta came out and ran like the exact opposite. So um, definitely took us a while to adjust, but uh, that's also a potential positive takeaway from this game is that uh, DA and um, Pete Carmichael, they made some second half adjustments and hopefully that's a, uh, a trend that carries forward too. And just as like a side note, like we really shouldn't be shocked that our defense didn't look that great, even against a not great opponent in week one, because honestly, ever since DA has taken over the defense, it's taken a couple weeks to get the defense going. And we, I mean, just going back and looking at our schedules from the last few years, um, we either lost or barely won um, and had some rough defensive performances in uh, pretty much the first couple weeks of every season since 2017. So um, the fact that we came up on the winning side again uh, this week, um, is just like a testament to say that we survived that and we shouldn't like be worried that, DA's lost his touch with the defense just because they were giving up five and a half yards of carry to Cordero Patterson. So um, just something to think about. Cordero Patterson, Jacob's fantasy running back. I tell you what, there's nothing better than watching your fantasy running back have a great game, but like also in a losing effort to the saints. It's a fantastic feeling. Nice. Okay. Um, so we get, yeah, we get Tom Brady in the Bucks in week two, home opener in the Dome, noon, 1 p.m., 10 a.m. for us on the West Coast. Um, I didn't really watch much of the Tampa Bay-Dallas game on Sunday night because I have much better things to do with my free time than watch Tom Brady play Jerry Jones's uh, pet project. But what little I did see featured uh, two Tampa Bay receivers getting hurt within like two plays of each other and Brady looking like he's on some sort of like juice crash diet. I think he weighs like 115 pounds or something. Um, but yeah, they didn't really look that good. Um, and I think it's going to be, a different, a different type of ball game because of Brady's immobility and all the injuries they've had on their offensive line. Uh, what do you all think? Yeah, I watched a lot of that game, and I was unimpressed. And I also think Godwin is going to be out for weeks, they said, um, the last time I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Evans will play, but I don't care because Lattimore will play, so that'll be fine. Um, mm-hmm. They did run a lot more of a like steady – run game driven offense than they did last year um, to the point where like Tariko and Collinsworth were actually talking a lot about how different that was. So I think that that was interesting to me because I feel like Tom Brady used to just sort of 
sling it around at will. Um, and it seems like Todd Bowles maybe has a different idea of how they want to run the offense right now. And But I don't know if that's a function of what Dallas was giving them or not. I didn't watch enough of the game to know that. But I did watch enough of the game to know that one touchdown in the third quarter from them like doesn't frighten me. Um, and all of their field goal drives were unimpressive. Um, yeah. So I'm personally not worried knowing how we always show up for Tampa Bay games, particularly ones at home um, and their defense. I mean, Dallas is just trash. So like they're the reason they, they won that game 19 to three is not because their defense held Dallas to three points. It was because Dallas was absolutely inept on offense. Um, so I think it'll be quite a different day for them on Sunday against yeah. our offense. Yeah. Even before Dak's injury, it's not too much of a stretch to think that the Cowboys were like soft tanking this year for Sean Payton, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. And now that Dak's hurt, it's like, man, I don't know what they're going to do. So, but not my problem. And if anything, it raises the price for Sean Payton. So run us those picks, Jerry. But that being said, um, yeah, Tampa, I mean, I, I started to get the vibes this offseason that like their karma has like run out. And they're honestly potentially due for a season of just like mass unfortune, misfortune rather, like we had last year where like whatever could go wrong, like would go wrong. Um, and mostly on the injury front, like their O-line has been absolutely wrecked by injuries. And uh, Donovan Smith, their left tackle, like had an, has an elbow strain uh, sprain that like knocked him out of the game last week or um, this past this past game, um, I don't know if he's going to play. They said it's more like a pain tolerance thing. So regardless, he's not going to be 100% when he's trying to block um, either Davenport or Cam Jordan. So, um, And their interior offensive line is banged up to hell. So I think our pass rush is going to be pretty nasty. And I don't know if they're going to be able to just run it down our throats um, like they would want to try to do otherwise. So um, – I think our defense is going to be up to the task. Like you said, Chris Godwin's out. So um, we'll uh, get to see another edition of uh, Marshawn Lattimore versus his, uh, his favorite son, Mike Evans. Um, and uh, I guess Julio Jones will be wide receiver. I was going to say, so. the caveat to that is Julio Jones did look like moderately like yeah. his old self. He, like he, yeah, he clearly was old in Tennessee, but he had a decent day. Yeah. The only play I saw him make was like, I mean, it was like a 30 or 40 yard catch, but he had to dive to catch it. And then he immediately like curled up in pain. And yes. like, I was like, well, was, there, there it goes. He's gone. He like put his like whole soul and season like into that one play. And so we'll see, we'll see. But like, I mean, like we joked about um, previously on the spot, like for as great as a, Receiver, Julio is future Hall of Famer, like whatever. He's not. Actually, I'm going to push player. back on that. Is he? Is he a Hall of Famer? Like, is he great? I don't. I don't. I don't know. Like, is he talented, or was he talented before he got yeah. old? Yes, but yeah, man, he's got like nine Pro Bowls and like five All Pros. Like, has he ever had more than six touchdown passes in a season? He, Julio Jones will be in the Hall of Fame. I'm like very like confident saying that, but. He's not been a Saints killer. And so, and hopefully we get a Debo back this week. So, um, and who like was like widely considered one of the absolute top players 
um, on the Saints, uh, the Saints like whole team um, throughout training camp. So I'm uh, really excited to see what he does in his sophomore season. Um, and uh, and yeah, Mike Gronk's gone. Uh, Leonard Fournette. Um, shout out to uh, the seventh ward, but uh, he weighs about 700 pounds right now. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, man, I'm just like not that scared of the Buccaneers. Like, I mean, in history, in the last couple of years is like kind of on our side here. So, um, yeah, I mean, do we, I mean, I don't know. Do we want to make predictions right now or any other analysis needed? We must make other... predictions. It's not a podcast if we don't make predictions. Well, right. of course it's make predictions, <laughs> but my only other comment overall is how nice it is to have well, let's back too. I forgot yes. to mention that. Oh earlier. my god! Um, just like I wasn't sweating, like for that right. field goal, and there were also like others. You guys know how Blake Gilligan was like my MVP every week last year because <laughs> there weren't that many other bright lights at some points. Yeah. But he remains a great one. And then we would have had a blocked punt if not for that penalty. Literally, Taysom was going to block it. Um, so yes. I was impressed overall. My special team shout out moment special team shout out love so, it i personally am feeling very positive particularly around this being home opener like i will never forget when we were all texting and recapping despite Jameis's injury how electric the last time we played this team in the superdome was um i think the place is going to be like ready to burn down in like the best way um i think it'll be high scoring um i think there'll be a defensive touchdown um, I did bet on that last week, did not hit, but I was like really feeling a Marcus Mariota fuck up. That didn't come to fruition. But anyways, um, I'm thinking like a 31-21 Saints win. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not too, too far off. Um, I think the Saints offense, you know, kind of like keep a lot of the uh, momentum from the way they ended things in Atlanta this past week. Um, score a few touchdowns, uh, clutch lets field goal, um, putting up a score of tw- about 24 points, not, not, not quite as, as, as high scoring, but, uh, and I think the saints defense, um, steps up and, uh, particularly in the red zone and, um, forces some, uh, red zone field goals against Brady's bucks. Um, and, uh, even though they, they, they might drop, drive the ball um quite a bit i think we we buckled down in the red zone and uh and that kind of happened against the cowboys uh for the buccaneers too so i've got saints 24 bucks 19 um final score predictions so my prediction that we would lose to the falcons was based on prior history of them kind of treating the game like it was their super bowl and mauling us when we least expected it. And I mean, it kind of happened. We were able to overcome it, but there was a history of that happening. It's usually happens once a year. Um, Specifically with the Falcons though, with the Buccaneers of late, there is no such history. We've kind of owned them for the last two years. And even in that playoff game in uh, 2020, they kind of just like stumbled across the finish line because our offense was inept and Jared cook fumbled, fumbled away the season. Um, 
So I'm a little bit more bullish about this game. Um, I do think it could get, if the Saints don't sniff their own farts too much about this win and just like finally, you know, putting the nail in the coffin of whatever was left of Atlanta and the Falcons and their culture. Uh, I think this could like get ugly. Like I think Dennis Allen could dial up the heat on defense, put some pressure on Brady because Brady obviously like doesn't have the mobility that Mariota does. And he can get crushed or make some ill-advised throws could turn into a pick party. I, I, I think it's going to be a blowout. Um, there's some questions about whether or not Kamara is going to play because he's dealing with a rib issue. The team signed Latavius Murray to the practice squad. So does that really mean anything? Can we make any determination of whether Kamara is going to play because of that? No, but they obviously are concerned and they're adding some insurance in case he can't go. But ultimately, like, I don't really think that matters all that much. This is going to be about Jameis Winston finally getting a chance to exact revenge on the team that cut him loose, which he didn't really get last year before uh, former LSU hero turned Tampa Bay Buck heel Devin White blew out his knee. Jameis's knee, that is. So... I don't know. I think I think this one's going to be bad. I'm I'm going to predict Saints 45, Tampa Bay 10. And Jameis throws like four touchdowns and 300 yards. I on I don't know how, but I honestly forgot about like the Jameis like comeback angle to this game. Same. Like I I don't know how cuz it's like a massive storyline, but um yeah. Well, it just uh, feels so long ago that he left. I mean, it was, right? Because he sat right. behind Drew in yeah. 2020. But yeah. yeah. And, it, well, and then the, the injury from last year, yeah. uh, getting yeah. revenge there, too. So, yeah, so many storylines. Um, man, uh, what a game. Also, so the many, Saints are underdogs. It's some good whiteboard yeah, material. Home dogs. Home dogs. And, like, um, yeah, I I wouldn't be shocked, Jacob, if uh, we do roll them, to be honest. So, uh, Saints 96, Tampa Bay 3. Seems legit. Mark it down, baby. Um, I just realized I forgot to introduce us at the top of the podcast. So I'll do it now as we uh, wrap it up. <laughs> this has been Black and Gold BS, the irreverent Saints podcast from Boot Crew Media. Now with its own podcast feed, we have our own feed. So, I mean, you know this if you're listening to it right now, mom and dad. Uh, so please uh, subscribe to the podcast. Leave us reviews. You can say whatever you want in the review as long as you give us five stars. Like, literally say whatever you want. Just give us five stars because that'll help. They'll bring people to the feed. And maybe one day we'll have more than just one and a half fans. Okay, we have a new sponsor, Royal Honda, and it is one of personal importance to Sean and I as the chariot of our childhood. Would you like to ad-lib and ad-read? Royal Honda. It's a dealership of purveyor of fine 
Japanese-made automobiles. Um, the one that you might pull up to the Mercedes-Benz, or no, the Caesars Superdome these days, rather. Uh, pull up there and hop out if you're someone like Michael Thomas who's out looking for blood against Carlton Davis, your nemesis who's been talking shit to you for two seasons now. And it's your time to score some touchdowns on him. That's the kind of car I'd want to drive up in. A Royal Honda car. So, Royal Honda. <laughs> <laughs> that was wonderful. <laughs> really strong. Thank you. All right. Well, <laughs> before we risk another ad-libbed ad read <laughs> for Sean Haspel and Allison Pratt, I'm Jacob Krasno. And until next week, who dat? Who dat? Allison, are you going to say who dat? Oh, sorry, I made a sign. Who dat? <laughs> <laughs> Toodaloo! <laughs>